0: at loveisrael.org. That's one word. Loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson.
1: Who is Yeshua Menitzrat? That is Jesus of Nazareth. How you answer that question and what you do with him is going to determine what type of eternity you will have. Now, we've already learned something you are either going to spend eternity in the kingdom of God, a kingdom of perfection, where you will experience the goodness of the living and eternal God, enjoying his blessings and his promises, or you will spend eternity in that lake that burns with fire and brimstone where you will experience eternal fear, eternal sadness, and eternal torment. And make no mistake about it, you choose. And failure to make a decision is, in fact, a decision. Because the only way to enter into the kingdom of God is by accepting Yeshua, believing in that gospel message receiving him into your life as your lord your savior and your god and it's incumbent upon us to know who he truly is well with that said take out your bible and look with me to the book of luke and chapter 9 luke's gospel and chapter 9. now we're going to begin in verse 18 and remember something Yeshua has just done that miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And we talked about how he made them sit down in groups of 50, and 50 is an important number. It speaks about liberty. It speaks about freedom. And what type of liberty and freedom? The freedom to serve God. Understand this simple principle. If you have been saved by the grace of God through faith, faith in that gospel message, you have become a new creation, and your new nature will lead you to serve God, to obey Him. And again, it's not the obedience that leads to salvation, but it's a true salvation experience that will cause you to desire to obey him and to submit to him and we're going to see that clearly taught by yeshua himself in this passage of scripture so again look with me to this portion of scripture luke's gospel chapter 9 beginning in verse 18 it says and it came about as he was praying by himself the disciples the disciples they came together with him and after they had come to him notice what happens and he asked them saying and this is a very literal translation of what it says here he asked them a question saying who do the crowds say me to be now your bible might translate it a little bit differently it might say, Who do the crowd say I am? But literally, there's an emphasis on that word me, me to be. And this is why that question of who he is is foundational. He's emphasizing that. Now, initially, he asks the crowds, and notice what the crowds respond. Read on in in our text now, verse 19. But they, that is the crowds, they answered. They said, John the Baptist, but others, others from within those crowds were saying, Elijah. But others, still there were others who responded, that a certain prophet of the ancient ones has risen. Now, this is most informing because they were thinking, well, John the Baptist, we know there was a strong anointing upon him. And many people understood that he was anointed by God. They saw his commitment. They saw his message of the kingdom. And therefore, they thought perhaps Yeshua was John the Baptist risen from the dead. Now, we know that makes no sense, but... That's what some people were thinking they were confused spiritually and others said elijah why elijah well because the prophecy of malachi said before the kingdom is established before the messiah will come in fullness first will come elijah so they heard yeshua speaking about the kingdom and they thought well perhaps He's Elijah. And still others were saying, one of the ancient prophets. He has risen, one of these prophets. Now, you know what we learn from that? Something very significant. The people, these crowds, they did not have a messianic expectation. And let me ask you that same question. Do you have a messianic expectation? And what do I mean by that? Well, are you expecting Messiah to come? He has taught clearly that before the wrath of God comes, he will come to remove his congregation, the congregation of the redeemed. Those who are part of his ecclesia, his church, they will be removed from this world and taken to heaven before the wrath of God comes. Are you expecting that? And I would suggest to you that there are signs, one particular sign, that that event is not too far away. And what is that? Persecution of believers. When we look at the scripture and we're going to see an indication of this in the text today, there is going to be Before he returns for that blessed hope, that rapture, there is going to be an increase of persecution of his disciples. And to be his disciple, you have to know who he truly is. We'll come to that in a moment. So the crowds, they had no messianic expectation. John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. But then notice what happens. In verse 19, we see something else. We see that they were confused, the crowds, but now, look now to verse 20. But he said to them, meaning to the disciples, but you, who do you say me to be? That same terminology And notice who answers, verse 20 again in the middle of that verse. And Peter said, not surprising, Peter is usually the one that always steps out. He's always the one that wants to be first. And he answers boldly, and this time he answers a very, very good answer. He says, you are the Messiah of God. Now, notice that expression, the Messiah of God. The way it's written in the original language points clearly to his divinity. And let me say something. I've mentioned it before, but it's very important that we get this right. And that's this. Unless you affirm the divinity of Christ, believing that he is God with us, That yes, he came in flesh and blood. He's fully human, but he is also the only begotten son of God. He's divine. If you reject the divinity of Messiah, you have not accepted the biblical Messiah, and you're not saved. So be very clear. Rejection of the divinity of Messiah means that you have rejected the gospel. Very clear here, the Messiah of God. And we're going to see another indicator of his divinity divinity in a few minutes. Look now to, to verse 21. After Peter said these good words, we find, but he, this is Yeshua, he warned sternly in the original language, having warned sternly, He said to them, commanding them, no one to say this. Now, this is odd. Peter gets it right. You are the Messiah of God. That's right. That's his true identity. And then Yeshua warns them sternly to say nothing, commanding them. No one say this to. Why? Well, the reason is very simple. We've talked about it. There is, in the Gospels, what's known as the Messianic secret. Why is that? Well, the people were expecting a conquering king, one that was going to defeat the enemies and bring victory to the Jewish people and establish the kingdom. Now, Messiah is going to do that, but that's what he's going to do when he comes again at the end of Daniel's 70th week, what's known as the second coming. This is not when he's there in this location for his first ministry. When he was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, and then as his ministry begins, he moves to Capernaum. His first coming was not to defeat the Romans, the enemies of Israel, and to establish his kingdom. Now, in Judaism, there are two terms that relate to Messiah. There's the term Mashiach ben David, which is Messiah, the son of David. This is the work of Messiah when he comes the second time at the end of this age to do just those three things, to defeat the enemies of Israel, to bring the victory to the Jewish people and to set up that kingdom. That's what he's going to do for the second coming. But we're talking about his first coming. And there's another term that relates to the first work of Messiah. And that is Mashiach ben Yosef, which means Messiah, the son of Joseph. And we know that Joseph suffered in Egypt. And the reason why that term is applied to Yeshua is because he is that suffering servant. And ultimately, his suffering is going to be upon that cross. And it's going to take place within the context of Passover. So when we look at this portion of Scripture, he's telling the people, his disciples, say nothing to no one about this because they... Are expecting Messiah the son of David he wants to get them ready for Messiah the son of Joseph that they would have a right expectation for who he is and what he's going to do at that time that's why he says say nothing to no one and then he begins to to teach look if you would to verse 22 because he was saying It is necessary that the Son of Man much suffers. So now we see he's teaching about Messiah, the Son of Joseph. Now, there's only one Messiah, but these two terms relate to two distinct works of Messiah, the two different comings of Messiah. And the first time, what's he going to do? It's necessary that the Son of Man, the Son of Man speaks about a servant the Son of Man, much suffer, and to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and to be killed, but on the third day to be raised. Now, this is important because it shows that God the Father, it's in the passive. Messiah doesn't raise himself, but he is raised from the dead. And that resurrection by God the Father of his son shows God's acceptance of his son's work, that it was received perfectly and fully by God the Father. Now look at verse 23. And he was saying to all, if anyone should want to follow after me meaning come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross every day and follow me now i would would underscore that verse because that verse to me is the most relevant thing messiah said for the last days to the believing community why do i say that what did he say if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross every day and follow me. What that speaks of is persecution. And notice the context for this. It's always so vital that we see not just being not just what's being said, but the context for this being stated. Look now to verse 24. For whoever wants to save his, and the word soul, but in this case it means life. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life on account of me. Now, that's why people are going to suffer on account of him. And what do we see today? we see a growing hostility in regard to the followers of Yeshua. Those who are committed to his word, we see a growing hostility from governments and individuals, all because of our faith in him. And not just our belief in him, but what that belief produces in our life. It produces us to walk in obedience to him. And the world hates that. And we're seeing more and more this changing of the world where it's becoming angered by the teachings of Messiah. So he says here, anyone who loses his life on account of me, this one will find it. Verse 25. For what does it profit a man if he gains the entire world but himself is destroyed or suffers loss so if we gain everything but we lose our own life and we suffer a loss of our life what what profit is that obviously none and then he says look at verse 26 and this is so significant because he says for whoever will be ashamed of me and my words this one the son of man will be ashamed of and notice this whenever he should come and that's why we see the context whenever he should come and what coming are we referring to we're speaking about messiah coming for his disciples coming in order to remove us from this world prior to the wrath of God being poured out. And notice what he says, the entire verse, verse 26. For whoever will be ashamed of me and my words, this one, the Son of Man, will be ashamed of whenever he should come, and hear this, in his glory. Now that's significant. Because it speaks of his divinity as well. His glory. And it also speaks of the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So all of this speaks about a heavenly realm. And the glory of the heaven. Why do the heavens have glory? Because of the presence of God. So this speaks as well, it points to the glory of Messiah is a heavenly glory. Why? Because he is God. Over and over when we look at the scripture, we see biblical indicators that point to the divinity of Messiah. And we need to realize that without accepting Yeshua for who he is, the living God, We don't know him, and we have not received his message of salvation. If we deny his divinity, we reject the gospel. Now let's look at our last verse, verse 27. Now, this is going to be a verse that is confusing to some because they don't keep reading. We're going to see that in this passage, he makes a a hint Something that's going to happen, and that is the transfiguration. What is that? That is when Messiah he is transfigured, meaning he changes, and we see something. We see once again the glory of God emitting from him. Now that's why we see this verse appearing here, because it hints to what's going to happen when clearly. On that Mount of Transfiguration we see the true identity of Yeshua that he is the Son of God that he's greater than Moses and Elijah he is indeed the only begotten Son of the Almighty God and therefore notice what he says in verse 27 our last verse but I say to you truly there are some who are standing here now it's interesting because if you look at that word standing it's in a unique grammatical construction it speaks about those who have been standing in the past standing now and also will be standing in the future and what's referring to those of faith we believed and we believed in the past We believe it today, and we will believe it into the future. Those who take a stand for him. Now, in essence, within this limited context, he's speaking about some of the disciples. But the same promise is going to be made to all believers, that we are going to experience that same thing which is knowing who Messiah is and experiencing that personally. That's the extension of that passage that we are going to experience the Son of God in the fullness of his identity. There's a foretaste for some, and we're going to see what he's referring to at this time. Look again at verse 27. For I say to you truly that there are some who are standing here who will not taste death, meaning they will not die before they experience something. And what are are they going to experience? They're going to have a foretaste of what all believers are going to experience in the kingdom of God. One of the most blessed aspects of the kingdom of God is that we are going to be brought into the presence of the living God. And who am I referring to? Well, obviously, it's going to be God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but the one who makes that possible is the Son. And we know something. The Scripture is very clear. No man comes to the Father except through the Son. You will not experience the living God if you don't have faith in His only begotten Son. And having faith in Him is affirming His divinity. And we've been taught, we've seen previously, when we studied, for example, the epistle of 1 John, we have seen, Then in the last days, that spirit of the Antichrist and those who belong to the Antichrist are going to deny the divinity of Messiah. Let's conclude. He says, there are certain ones standing here that will not taste death until they, and notice this word, it's a word for perceiving. Yes, it's a word for seeing, but through seeing you come to an understanding. You come to a a point of, of understanding a truth. And what is that? What's he referring to? He says, there are some who are standing here that will not taste death until they shall perceive the kingdom of God. And what's he speaking about? He's speaking about those few disciples that are going to join him on that Mount of Transfiguration. And they are going to see the very glory of God and understand that there is an inherent relationship between the glory of God and the kingdom of God. What is unique about the kingdom of God is that it's full of the glory of God. And these few disciples, they are going to be with him on that Mount of Transfiguration, and they are going to see him changed. And they are going to perceive with their own eyes the very glory of God that is going to emit from him, signifying once more his identity as the only begotten Son of God, that is, The divine Son of God I hope you see over and over in the scripture there are strong indicators that reveal to us his identity and again it is incumbent upon us to accept him for who he is if you just say he's a miracle worker he's a prophet he is an anointed one he is a good man All of those things are inadequate. You must believe that he is the divine son of God. Failure to receive him in that way is indeed a rejection of him. And this is why the scripture is so clear. So let me conclude by asking you that same question. What do you believe about Yeshua Menetzrati? Jesus of Nazareth. Have you received him? Not just as Lord and Savior and Messiah, but as your God. If you haven't, you haven't received the truth of the gospel.
0: Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org.